is Isabella Johnston, and I am the Intern Whisperer. Our show is brought to you by Employers for Change, and our unconscious bias tips are provided by BuiltIn.com. We're going to talk about confirmation bias, and what does that all mean? We've been touching base on there's 16 types of biases that people have, and we all have them. So we need to realize that we have these and that there are ways that we can become more aware of what's going on. So confirmation bias is the inclination to draw conclusions about a situation or a person based on personal desires, beliefs, and prejudices rather than on unbiased merit. So what does all of that mean? In hiring, confirmation bias office plays a detrimental role at the very beginning of the process when people are first reviewing a resume and they form an initial opinion of the candidate based on inconsequential attributes like their name, where they're from, where they went to school, how old they might be, all of these different pieces of data. This opinion can follow you into the interview process and consequently steer questions to confirm the initial opinion of that candidate. So how can we avoid confirmation bias? Well, there is a way. While every interview will lend itself to a unique conversation based on the individual's background, it's important to ask standardized skills-based questions that provide each candidate with a fair chance to stand out. I cannot stress this enough because having skills-based questions draws on the applicant's experience and background as to how they may have solved a problem. This will help prevent you and your team from asking too many off-the-cuff questions that are different for each person and can lead to some kind of a confirmation bias and you can lose out on a really good candidate. So welcome to the Intern Whisper. Our show is all about the future of work and innovation. Hi, my name is Isabella Johnston, the Intern Whisperer. Our show is brought to you by Employers for Change, and I'm really am very excited about our guest this week. It is somebody that I have met two years ago, so hard to believe. His name is Jonathan. He gave me permission to call him John. Borger, Borg Wing. It's a tongue twister, John. Absolutely. He's the founder of Vig Solutions with over 20 years of experience in instructional design, and he is an Army veteran. Thank you for your service. I know that's always an awkward thing. Um, <laughs> he holds both an MS and an ED degree. That means he's a doctorate, folks. And he is also highly skilled in the Agile Addy Framework model. And he's going to explain what that means to all of you guys. So welcome to the show, John. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, so thrilled. So let's talk about a little bit about what all these other things are. What is an ED degree? ED doctorate uh, in a doctorate of education. Um, and so that is sort of, as you look at the, there's a lot of conversation actually between the EDD and the PhD. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and oftentimes actually, I think it was Harvard only offered the EDD for the doctorate of education as an EDD format. Uh, traditionally it's supposed to be split between the EDD is more practically focused where the PhD is more uh, research focused. Mm -hmm. And so when people often ask the question of, you know, which one should they pursue? And it usually comes down to, you know, practicality versus um, the research heavy and research focused, mm -hmm. but you're always contributing something new to the field, of course. Um, but I, I had a tremendous program and I really enjoyed it at ASU. Um, so it was, it was a blast. 
Hmm. I always love hearing that. And I had a discussion also, I remember with my chair as to which way I wanted to go also. And I said, well, I'd rather be a researcher. So I wanted to go the route of the PhD. Absolutely. Um, so people don't always know what the difference is. They go, well, you're a doctorate and they think everybody is a PhD. They usually haven't heard of an EDD. Yeah, it's it's something I found that's like obviously very secluded to education, right? Um, but it's it's uh, it really gave me the tools because we so during my my doctoral dissertation, I used something called uh, action research, which allowed me to be iterative in my development of what ended up being the Agile Addy framework. Uh, so it was very interesting that I used an iterative process to develop an iterative model as well. So mm. it's very cool. So explain to our listeners also, what does the Agile Addy method mean? Addy. Yeah, that's awesome. So Addy is the traditional instructional design method used to build courses. It stands for analysis, design, develop, implement, and evaluate. And there are different phases. Uh, traditionally, it's been a waterfall method, which means before you go from analysis, to de- uh, before you go to design, you have to finish your analysis. Mm-hmm. And so um, this sort of, I, I came up with this because out of necessity of what I what happened in the military for me, um, where we actually found a lot of our uh, soldiers were not trained in the latest uh, battlefield situation or an operational environment. And so I actually went back to the schoolhouse and uh, started figuring, trying to figure out how we can solve this challenge. And we realized that in order to go from analysis to design, I believe there were 42 signatures that needed to be signed or something like that. And I was like, this is crazy. There's no way that we can keep up with the pace of change on the battlefield if it takes three years, four years to revise our our training materials. And at that time, there was a rapid uh, development in that situation. This was around 2000, uh, 2007, 2008, and then 2009, I went back to the schoolhouse. And uh, during that time, uh, you know, I came up with in a way that we could potentially modify Addy to be more agile. And there are a lot of different models out there, such as the successive approximation model, which uses some agile principles, and as well as uh, the llama model, which again, uses an iterative approach. Uh, but the difference with those is you would really have to break the process to implement and some of the agile fundamentals of Addy. Um, or at least modify it to the point where a lot of these systems that have been built, you know, the government spends millions of dollars into something like Addy and builds uh, information systems across mm-hmm. its entire enterprise. So Addy, Agile, the Agile Addy framework can actually fit right on top of that, which is sort of, which is nice because then you don't have to build entirely new systems, right? Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. And I know we may be using some uh, jargon that's specific that is used in either learning and development, of adult yes. learners or in the education field. So I may just periodically just say, hey, explain that one also. Please do, because in the military, we use a lot of acronyms. And yeah. so I am very, very guilty of doing that. Yeah, yeah. And most people, you know, they're not able to engage and go, well, what does that mean? <laughs> so I'm their speaker, so to no, speak. No, please. Yes, absolutely. So you'd spent this uh, lifetime going to school and being able to be a teacher. I think there's nothing better than being a teacher, but I also think there's probably nothing better than first uh, serving in the military because it's not for everybody. So, you know, it takes a lot of uh, courage or some people may think that, you know, you're just plain being stupid. <laughs> it it kind of <laughs> depends on who, who in your family you're talking with, right? Because they don't want to lose that person. Of course. Um, 
but then there's also the fact that it is a service. And I think teaching and nursing, not to be confused with doctors. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. Not to be yeah. confused. Um, people that care for others is uh, a field that's just really people don't realize how much uh, emotional and mental and sometimes physical energy it takes to be in those roles. Oh yeah, nurses. I've had the privilege of working with nurses mm -hmm. uh, within our within our company. During as we do courses, and it's, uh, they are they are tremendous. Um, mm -hmm. I love working with nurses. They're they're amazing. They have all of their standards already laid out. They know exactly what's and they're the, they're incredibly knowledgeable on all facets of medicine. Mm -hmm. So it's my favorite group to work with. Um, mm -hmm. Teachers as well. Um, I always felt like I got out easy because you know, teachers, you know, they have instructor student ratios are fairly high now. Yeah, they um, are. And they have to keep students engaged during that entire process. I had the benefit of having drill sergeants in the back of my classroom. So if somebody fell asleep, you know, drill sergeants would have them do push-ups. We can't do that nowadays. So no. I had it much easier than our K through 12 teachers or even our higher education teachers um, with that. So I got off easy. So I feel, mm -hmm. I feel very fortunate with that. Yeah, <laughs> very true. Very true. And, and when you're teaching to the masses, the same as in the military. You have all different types of learning abilities in the room. You do. It's Absolutely. hard to keep them engaged. It is. It is. Yeah. It was. It it was a really uh, wonderful experience because I got exposed to uh, a lot of different types of learners, as well as uh, constantly striving to figure out how to keep them engaged. Because mm -hmm. uh, some of the content was very dry. So if we think about like legal determination of of different types of um, you know as law of war, for example. That is not something that somebody gets very excited to mm -hmm. to go learn. It's very important, but they don't get mm -hmm. very excited to learn that. Uh, so, how do you make that engaging for your learners, right? Um, so, yeah, that that was that was one of the challenges. Or how do you treat, teach them software? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And and that's always very very difficult. We were very I was very lucky to have those experiences because now when we have clients who have, for example, software that they're trying to teach. We, we've done this. I've done that before. I've had to sit and and watch students, you know, fall asleep. And now I've, I've overcome that. We have some strategies that we can deploy that really keeps them engaged, which is great. That is super. So we moved to this section about the five words that would describe you and why those five words. So your first one was innovative. Why innovative? Yeah. So um, I, I when we think about education right now, uh, I've been very, very fortunate with VIG. We are working in virtual reality, augmented reality, and artificial intelligence. And I think those are really the three areas of enterprise that are really pushing the boundaries of how we can um, be innovative in that space. I think that education has been an area that a lot of people have tackled. And so uh, as these new technologies come to bear, even blockchain, right? These new mm -hmm. technologies that are coming up, Web3, um, being able to interact with them, being able to work with them and, and operationalize them. Um, I really find a lot of passion in that. So as soon as we find a way that we can, a new way to solve problems or a new way to engage students, uh, I've, I gravitate toward that. So mm -hmm. I love to work in that space. That that's a good thing because I know you just mentioned web three. And as we continue to move into the future of work, you know, there's like, well, people go, well, what's web three? What's web two? Well, web two is everything we have been using the way we did with Google and all of these things. Now there's different ways we access information. So what is web three? How would you define it? Oh, that's a, so we, when we NFTs, right. Non, I'm going to mess non -fungible up. Non-fungible 
tokens. Yes. There we go. Um, I think, and especially with like, when we think about uh, uh, Bitcoin, yes. think about the the cryptocurrencies. I think that's what people most associate with some of those uh, Web3 technologies. But mm-hmm. I think um, there are, that's just the start. And mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot more depth there, but it's also how you interact with uh, your environment with Web3. Like you can have an entire building on a Web3 contract. Um, yep. And so, and there's, uh, for example, Arkimoto's on Web3. Arkimoto's are- That's the company. Glenn Cook, Arkimoto. Who's the founder? The fa- Oh, uh, the founder. No, I don't I don't remember the founder, but right oh, now- Oh, I'll look it have... up while we're talking. But that's, yes, Arkimoto's I'm with you. Arkimoto's amazing. Um, and their vehicles are, are awesome. Um, but the, uh, I think they have an Arkimoto on the blockchain now as well that you can Mark Thronmeyer. There we go. Yep. Yeah, that was the name earlier. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, for our listeners, go look up Mark Thronmeyer. He was a previous guest on the show. Yeah. Okay. No, he's, yeah, they're, they're awesome. The company is, is tremendous. Um, yeah. So, but they, yeah, they have, uh, they have these vehicles that are really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that they can put them on a blockchain to be sold is even cooler. And if you think about what we do with credit cards now and the fees and the processing fees associated with that, Web3 really takes that to a whole different level. And there's all sorts of innovation happening in those spaces, especially with, you know, as they look at computing power. Yeah. It's it's a it's a really exciting space to be in. It is. And what gets so frustrating, I think, to people is that when they hear about the NFTs and cryptocurrency and all of the things that are around what the future of currency can look like, but I can't touch it. And they're used to touching dollar bills. And so I guess the easiest way to help them understand that is, well, you have a credit card and you you can use it to go buy things. And it's based on leveraging money that comes into your bank account. And you may never touch that money you're using a card to access it. Yeah, it's 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 very cool. There's um there are all sorts of and it's not just in in 3D, it's not mm-hmm. just in, you know, 2D. It really it, it's starting to transcend. You have like a wallet. It's almost like you have your um on the iPhone, you have the Apple wallet. Right. It's exactly like that. You have wallets that, that exist within the browser, within your with your phone um that you're able to take and use on different chains of chain blockchains yeah yeah and access whatever whatever however your money is whether it's stocks or if it's in in actual cash or if it's in art or in those different areas yeah exactly yeah yeah and i think it's the whole blockchain uh uh piece there got i think disrupted there was like there was a a gold rush of as you saw values of different coins increase substantially Mm -hmm. in price and then it hit what they call the crypto winter, where things started to go down again. It's gonna, it's gonna go in hibernation for a little bit, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, it depends on what's going on with our government, also. Exactly. Well, your second word was grit. I think that that goes really well with the fact that you served in the military. I forgot to ask you, how long were you serving? Uh, four years with a fifteen-month deployment to Iraq. Wow. That's a long time to be 15 months in another country. And if you were married at the time, that's really, really hard. Yeah, it, um, it's, it's a, I, ha- I haven't, it's hard to describe uh, being downrange, um, but it was definitely life-changing. Um, it was definitely, it was, um, yeah, it's, I don't really know. It's, it's just an experience. I, I don't, mm-hmm. um, you know, there were very, very bad days or were, uh 
if you make friends that you'll have for the rest of your life um, and you experience a lot of things together. Um, yeah, but it was, yeah, we did 15 months uh, just south of Baghdad, uh, main effort uh, for a little bit of that time. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, agile. Well, that ties in with your profession. We had innovative, grit, agile. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't talk about. Yeah. So okay. uh, are we going back to grit? I apologize. Yeah, that's I got, OK. Uh, so so I so a lot of times when I when we think about challenges that we face, you know, it, it's you're, you're going to fail. Right. Failure mm -hmm. is going to happen. But I think um, what really helps me is I continue to move past that, mm -hmm. um, having that ability to move forward, even after you find difficulty. In fact, I think it starts to get fun when things get difficult, mm -hmm. right? Because that's when you know, you know, you keep on going. And David Goggins, I don't know if you're familiar with David I do Goggins. not know this name. So uh, he's great. Um, I'm going to look him up while you're talking. Yeah, he's he's phenomenal. But he has that same mentality of grit, where once things get difficult, then then you really start pushing. And that's you know, if things are different, if things are easy, then anyone can do it. Right. And when things get difficult, that's when the fun begins. So, um, you know, as an mm. entrepreneur, we know that, you know, things, you're an entrepreneur yourself, you know, things get difficult and you have to have that grit in order to be successful in order to make it to the next level. Oh, he's a, uh, an author also. Yep. And a Navy SEAL. Yep. He did the Navy SEAL selection, I believe two or three times. Um, he's got, he's got an incredible story. I, I would, yeah. Okay, I like this quote. You are in danger of living a life so comfortable and soft that you will die without ever realizing your true potential. Exactly. That is a powerful yes. statement. Yeah. He I, I mean, I think his story is he was uh 300 pounds and he decided to do the Navy SEALs and lost all that weight. Um went through selection three times. I think he broke his foot at one point and continued to drive forward or he had shin splints. He had really bad shin splints. That's what it was. Wow. Yeah. He's a tremendous human being that really pushes himself, but that push is so important for success in so many things. It absolutely is. Yeah. And then he also says life is unfair and bad things happen. But if you see those events as opportunities to learn and grow. Absolutely. Good things happen. Yeah. I think he's the definition of grit. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Based on this one thing, so I'm I'm definitely going to add him over here to the notes. Check out David Goggins. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I I was surprised that I was even spelling his name correctly. G o g g i n s. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um. So you feel like we covered grit? Oh yeah, sure? absolutely. Sorry. I'm just going to yeah. make sure. And then agile, and we. We kind of covered that one when you're talking about agile as it relates to uh, the Addy method. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. During my doctorate, I went. Uh, we think about agile in business practices. We mm -hmm. think Scrum. We think points. We think Kanban yep. boards. We think all of these things that uh, are just different systems put in place in a different environment. Mm -hmm. um, and when you go back and you look at the Agile Manifesto, which is the core document, which a bunch of software developers got together and figure out to figure out the best way to to produce software code um and you read that and it's not necessarily always in line with what we think of like scrum and points and things like that and in fact there's a great talk that one of the original authors gave about how agile is dead now it, it, i'll i'll save everyone from listening to it, but he doesn't actually think it's dead he just thinks that all of these systems that we're putting in place are actually diluting the core messages there that which mm. is you know and, and i'll let the readers read it because i'll recite it incorrectly i'm sure if i uh, um, have that but it's about prioritization of how you are aligning your processes accordingly 
So mm. it's really, really awesome. Um, these sound like great books. That, were these the textbooks that you got to read? Because they sound amazing so far. Oh, in my studies? Yeah. I was very fortunate. Uh, so um, before going to ASU, I went to U of A, uh, University of Arizona. And I had a class with, I guess everyone else dropped out. And it was just me and the professor. And we went over all of the theories of instructional design. That's where I got the bug, one of the bugs. Mm -hmm. um, but then during my dissertation, it was really, they allowed us to really find the sources of truth that we needed to to base our, our theories on. And that was actually what I used as one of hmm. my theories for my dissertation. Very, very this. interesting. Yeah. Who, who was your uh, chair? I guess that one person was your chair. Is that? No, it wasn't him. Um, my chair was, uh, oh no. I'm it's okay. Really It'll put kind of like that whole thing with Thronmeyer. Yeah. She was wonderful though. I have nothing but great things to say. It's about okay. Her. It'll, and when it does just shout the name out. It's totally Aaron fine. Rothman, I believe. Really? Yeah. Okay. There we go. Um, going, coming back practical. So yes, and this is sometimes contrasting with innovation. Mm. Um, and so, uh, we really, when we think about innovation, um, we think of all these, these really great, uh, opportunities, but the practical side needs to come into effect on how you operationalize things. And so a great example is when we take VR, right? Mm -hmm. Virtual reality has always been the shiny thing in the room for the net. I would say for the last uh, three, four years at the very least. Um, mm -hmm. and now AI is starting to take away some of that shine, but, yeah. um, a lot of times that we go into, we look at this technology and it's very, very cool. I mean, they have things where now you, they have like feedback on your hands on, as you touch things and interact with things. But the question is, what is the scalability? What is the return on investment? What does that ratio look like? And I think, uh, understanding that adjustment, understanding what that looks like is incredibly important. Uh, and that's where that practicality piece comes from is, is looking not just at the innovation, but how do we operationalize it? What is the impact to learners? What is the return on investment? Mm -hmm. um, that was interesting. Just so our listeners know, somebody decided to come into the room, you know, but if you're on camera, you would have seen them come in <laughs> in the room and I'm going, okay, that's, that's interesting. Um, because we were mentioning augmented reality, what I think was interesting is that uh, 1968 is when it was invented. Isn't wow. that amazing? That is. Who is that old? But you know, the internet was invented, not the internet. Um, computers were back in the 60s. Yep. And so if you think about that's how old that is, is the same time frame. It makes me wonder what is being invented that we don't know about. And when we get like 10 years in the future, we're going to go, Oh, but they were testing it. And to your point, something we were talking about also is the fact that with um, AI, we'll talk about this in the second half of the show, they could be doing all kinds of wonderful things that we yeah. don't know about because they're testing it. Well, and that's where the operationalization or what is the practicality of things? Does it meet right. the consumer needs? Does it meet business needs? Does it mean, mm -hmm. and what is those price points? The return on investment. Right. Um, and that's not the only thing that... Um, uh, determines that. I think it's also the return on effort. Mm -hmm. uh, so there may be a profit, but if it takes, uh, or whatever that metric is that you're using yeah. for investment, but is it worth all the time and effort? And we see that, I see that a lot with, for example, virtual reality. Mm -hmm. If I have to put on a headset, 
Mm-hmm. I have to take cognitive load to understand the interface. Mm-hmm. How often am I interacting with that interface? Do I have to learn a new interface every time? Do I have to put on a new headset every time? And the return on effort starts to decrease depending on how you're deploying that innovation. So a lot of this funding, our government will pay pay us as you know people in the just the regular world of business. They'll give us grants to yep. go and study AR, VR, and all of that. And we'll have game jams where we can go and say, okay, military people, what are the problems that you would like us to solve? And so that's the most, I mean, that's an easy thing to understand and be able to fund and say, well, we can't fund it. And, you know, we can, but, you know, we're thinking like military or, you know, government people. But what if we put it out there for the masses? And so you can get SBIR funding and, yep. you know, Except phase for, yeah. one, two. Oh, yeah. And they will give you a lot of money. It seems like a lot of money. And we're testing the heck out of all of these things that are out there to see, is it something that people would buy? Yeah, absolutely. Which is AR, VR, yep. mixed reality, absolutely. holograms, like pick stuff. I think it's so cool what's happening in that space, not to to jump too much. That's okay. We can. Okay. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think what's really cool is now we're looking at APIs for like web AR and web VR, where the dissemination of content can happen through just a website. Mm -hmm. And that changes the game as far as distribution models, as far as uh, accessibility, Mm -hmm. because device accessibility is is an issue potentially. Mm -hmm. Um, You think about different. I mean, if we, the Pico headset versus the Quest headset, mm-hmm. um, hologram versus Apple Vision Pro when that comes out. I'm sorry, not the, Holo, the HoloLens, thank you. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of different ecosystems, but I think web is the unifying one between mm-hmm. them. It, it appears to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so Have you seen, um, I saw this and I think it was about, I would say probably six to eight years ago, where and it was in everything cool seems to come out of Japan. I think <laughs> they had uh, instead of a hard computer, it would be three pins, and you put these three pins together, and it creates a screen right above you. So you make up like a little triangle, like a TP that radiates um, an image, a hologram, if you will, and then that becomes your your screen. And then there was this little. Um, like a keyboard, but you roll it out and then you can type right on it, but it's, it's not anything you really touch. Everything was that's cool. the size of a pair of glasses. That's awesome. And I, I believe it's probably really there. We just don't have possession of it yet. Right. It will yeah. be, right. The return, the, is it fine? Is it commercially viable yet? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it's very cool. I, I think we're seeing the start of start of that with the Apple Vision Pro. Yeah. Um, and I think why that device is different from say like the HoloLens or say mm-hmm. some of the Quest. Uh, and I know Quest's getting there as well. Um, but the fact that it can immerse you or it can you can still maintain connection with your reality and where you're at right now. Mm-hmm. I think having that flexibility is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot like when you go and see science fiction movies and they're like swiping things in the air and it looks like a hologram essentially, yeah. but like you can move stuff around. It feels very, very interesting, very cool to watch. You can go, is it, but yeah, it's here, but it's not commercialized yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think we're getting there. I think we'll definitely be there mm-hmm. in the very near future. Oh yeah. I would agree too. Yeah. So we covered all of those words. Oh, except the last one, integrity and transparency. So that's interesting that you paired them together. 
Yeah, I, I think, um, so I, I try to be transparent in everything I do. I think it's important. It allows uh, you to move quickly. It allows everyone to be on the same page. Um, but also in the integrity to understand that, you know, if, yeah, for example, I have had discussions and made deals with people so that it's just a gentleman's word or a, uh, a human's word. Or human word. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was looking for the correction on there. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so, but yeah, just a, you know, uh, just a, a taking somebody at their word and then moving forward and being able to have that integrity and transparency of where you're at uh, has enabled all sorts of things um, and having that. But it's very important to me is, is keeping that integrity, keeping that transparency. And that's what we practice with VIG. It's one of our core fundamental uh, pieces there, even with our clients. I think sometimes there might be too transparency, too much transparency because we show them how the sausage is made. So we scale it back based on their preference. Mm. Um, but uh, but I think it's important so that it keeps everyone on the same page as well. So you've mentioned VIG. It's a nice segue to where we're going next. Where did that name come from for the your company? What does it stand for? V-I-G, so our listeners know. Yeah, so, um, so VIG is actually, so Agile in Swedish is VIG. And my oh. sister came up with it because uh, she speaks Swedish. My dad's from Sweden. Um, and so she came up with it uh, in the car um, with her boyfriend. They were, were they were all trying to figure out what the name of the company was going to be. And I and they said it and it just sort of clicked. Um, but the team has also came up with that. It's an acronym for very important girls because we are definitely an, a women-empowered company or women-empowered <laughs> company because, uh, um, yeah, they're, they're uh, we're de- like, I think we have three of us are hanging on uh, to keep up with, uh, with the rest of them. But um, uh, yeah, we're, that's definitely where, where most of our employees are. That's cool. That's a good story there too. So what does your company do? We're an educational innovation company. Um, and so that's a little vague. So just to get a little bit mm-hmm. more specific is we do everything from uh, virtual reality development to which is uh, we're able to do so at a lower cost than and most individuals with a higher level of realism, which is great. Uh, we do e-learning, face-to-face instruction, um, but we like to ensure that there's a high return on investment as well as a high return on effort for both our clients and learners. Uh, we also we have a training platform called trainingos.com, and it uses AI to empower teachers in the classroom as well as instructional designers. And it uses um, generative AI to do things like create personalized learning plans, to come up with course descriptions, to um, create, uh, or it'll actually, if you describe like a problem you're having in the class, it'll help build some solutions for you in that. Um, So we're very excited about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So you have, I know when I first met you, like in in real life, um, (laughs) and so hard to believe that was just last week. Yeah. Yeah. you had said, now, I, I think you were being very modest, that you were not a programmer. And then it came out a little bit later in our conversation that you do know how to program, that you did study that too. But I went and I signed up for a bubble and it is not that simple. <laughs> <laughs> I sat there and went, okay, yes, yeah, somebody believed in me. So yes, I think I can do this. And I, I was picking the answers and I went, I have no idea how to do this. And it wasn't free. And it said it was free. There was a cost. Yeah. Bubble is great for, it's, it's a low, I would say it's a low code, not a no code. Yeah. yeah um, it's a low code platform that we actually, it's great for MVP, minimally viable products, mm-hmm. MVPs to come out. Um, and, uh, that's actually what we built, uh, the first version of training. Well, we're currently training OS on, um, 
and training OS originally came about as a algorithm that I'd built because we saw a lot of transitioning K through 12 teachers into the field of instructional design. Mm -hmm. And uh, we saw a lot of them going through, I'll call them influencer boot camps uh, in the instructional design community. And they were leaving expecting to have the same type of skill set that somebody who had been in the industry for several years, as well as had master's uh, studies, they understand all the theory. And they do these, these boot camps do some do a great job, but they're just not there yet. Um, for example, aligning uh, what is the right technology intervention with learner outcome. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. some of those things get lost. And so one of our hopes was, is we could use training OS to help guide them along the right path to help empower them and make better decisions. Instead, during that, during, I created this very big algorithm and then chat GPT came out and consumerized through APIs, all of the AI technology, which is phenomenal. But it, but it also made that algorithm uh, much shorter. And it, we could we saw a unique opportunity because we were already building Training OS at the time to integrate a lot of those uh, features into it. And so now um, AI is really running uh, Training OS for our, for our clients. And so we're very excited about that. That is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I love the fact that you were being very modest about the number of women that are in your company also, so that I think it's really important. I work out of a place where I am the only woman-owned company. So I I would love to see, you know, walk into a room where I go, oh, look, there's all of these women in this STEM and these uh, tech fields that it feels oh, lo- very lonely at times. They're awesome. I'm I'm very, very fortunate to have a team yeah. to do. Yeah, they're, they're tremendous. But yes, I am very frequently the only guy in the room. And that's great because yeah. uh, then I know good, you know, we're doing great things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say you are too. Yeah, because that's going to be one way that your company will always stand out is the fact that it is focused on that. Is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know about your company? Um. I, I, I'm very excited about the next few years. Uh, mm-hmm. We are moving in the field of, we're looking at how you uh, consumerize. We talked about consumerization. We talked about practicality. We talked about operationalization. Mm-hmm. Um, we are looking at technology intervention as a way to increase student outcomes, learner outcomes, workforce outcomes, um, rather than just a, hey, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. Right? And so we we try to use we use uh, Kirkpatrick, um, yep. yeah, evaluation methodology, so we can actually show outcomes from the training. Um, uh, and so, training has often been seen as like a negative draw because you have, for example, how many times have you sat with a whole entire executive team at a table and gone through like a day of training, mm-hmm. and then how much of that is actually operationalized? How much of that is actually and that, like twenty percent if you're lucky. Right. And, and so we really like to flip that model where if we're going to take somebody's time away from the workforce where they're able to be productive, that there is a, a high return on investment for that money mm-hmm. they've taken away. They're learning a job. We are, we're, we're changing that dynamic. And that's really what we focus on is as an educational innovation company, using technology, using innovation to make a high return on investment as well as a high return on effort for that learner who's going to participate. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like the worst when I go into a training, I'm like, Oh man, let's see what they're going to do now. And I'm always, you, you know, you're always the worst student as a, right. as a trainer. And so, um, so I, I bring that to bear even with our own courses. So we were very, very uh, uh, particular in how we enter uh, do specific interventions. Yeah. I view learning as multidimensional and there's so many facets of how you can help people learn. It's not just one way, but we know one of the biggest ways is through uh, mistakes. 
trial yes. and error, right? Yeah. And hitting our head against the wall. And I know that this is a blended approach. It's not going to be like a hard, <laughs> we finished part one and then we're we're blending part one of the show with part two so that it's a, a more blended approach. But people, because of the complexity of just the human brain and and their personality type and how they learn and how they process information, it it's hard. It's hard to be able to make change in people. And I feel like it's it's part human and then it's part the technology that we have available to us because people get bored with the same thing over and over again. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we think about PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, in the army, we used to call them PowerPoint Rangers because they would have, they'd be so good at doing PowerPoint. That's, you know, that's what some of the military relies on so heavily, but the classes would just be PowerPoint after PowerPoint after PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. We have people falling asleep. We had like- It's not interactive. At all, at all. And then, um, but that has now changed. You know, the the schoolhouses are doing fantastic work as they've shifted these models. And uh, I think keeping an interactive environment is so important mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. as, especially if you look at your end state task. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to teach a skill, let's get them hands-on as soon as possible. Oh, totally agree. Yeah. We're going to take a break to recognize Cat5 Studios and we will be right back. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. And we're back to the second half of our show. And just so our listeners know, this is not the typical show. This is, it, it is really a truly a blended approach. And I'm I'm loving this because I know we were just talking about how education is, has to be experiential. It has to be something that's hands-on where people are being able to, I th that is how we accelerate learning. And we accelerate it by working together with other people. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's so important especially if we keep the end state in mind, right? Mm -hmm. um, so when we think about, even if we look at like analysis, right? We want somebody to be able to to take something and come out with a, a judgment based on that analysis that they have on, on that. Um, having them be interactive, having, instead of just listening about criteria and those types of things, so important. Um, and we have, I think the field of instructional design has come along so, so much uh, since it, since, even in the last five years that uh, we have so many people have great ideas. Um, I recently did a talk about uh, AI within the classroom, and there was a teacher in the audience who had all, knew all of these resources that I had never even heard of before. And so I think the, as the community evolves and the community gets together, we're going to have better and better interventions for these things. Have you ever gone to the Future of Education conference? Have you, I, have I think not. I mentioned. Okay. I had been in education for 25 years and, you know, yep. public secondary education and then also higher ed. And I went, how have I never heard of this organization? You have to go to that because that is truly one of the most innovative conferences in the ed space. Okay. Um, they should be having it in January here next year in 2024. So one of the things that they did is they said, okay, everybody pull out your phone. It was a keynote speaker. Go to this app. It was a Google app. And then download it was uh, an augmented reality uh, thing. Oh, and okay. then type uh, tigers in there and there's tigers roaming all around the floor around us and it was like scary i'm glad they didn't say spiders but you know it was it was frightening but we also knew that it wasn't real right right 
And I've gone to so many really cool education and adult learning conferences where there was another woman there. She was a scientist and she was like, she had taken uh, cornstarch into her mouth and then blew it out and then used a flame, whatever it is, a flame, not a That's flamethrower, cool. but, a, you know, a torch. Yeah. And psh, Oh, and there was cool. all of this uh, flames in the room and they had to have special permission to do it. It was incredible. It was so, so fun. That is what learning is too, yes. because it makes impact and it has an impression and it's not forgotten. Absolutely. The next day. And that's actually, so um, when I was, I, my, I, at this time I, I thought I was not, I was not going to do education. I thought I was going to do like the CIA, the DIA, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but they were the United States Army Intelligence Center of Excellence was trying to improve the educational standards there. And they actually introduced uh, a educational form that used Bloom's tax, uh, not Bloom's taxonomy, excuse me, Gagne's nine events of instruction, yeah. which is great for those um, who are unfamiliar with it. It's basically nine steps that you can go through in order to use best practices mm -hmm. for teaching. And there's been some evolution since then. But the other thing that it introduced us to is ARC's model of motivation, mm -hmm. which stands for attention relevancy, confidence, and satisfaction. Good job. Yeah. Um, but it's it's so cool because what you just said, right, grabbing their attention, keeping students engaged throughout has a huge impact on the entire uh, ability to retain that information and keeping them engaged. So I think that's so important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it goes to something that, and again, I'm blending this, the, a favorite quote that you had and Winston Churchill. So you can cite either one or I can throw one out for you and then you can just oh, expand on it. I love a man who grins when he fights. I, I know I messed it up. I got the No, you got it right. Oh. I like a man who grins when he fights. Uh, yeah, that's... Um... I'm sure David Goggins would also like, love that quote, mm -hmm. uh, but I think it goes down to, it goes back to the grit. Um, you know, things that are tough are worth doing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's really where, you know, uh, for example, you know, making VR operational or, or, or viable for uh, the masses, that's, that's tough to do. Right. Yeah. Or, or even having that idea of that price point or how you get to that. Right. But, it's worth doing anything worth doing is it's often hard to do. Yes, it is. Yes. And so when things get tough, you know, when you hear, when you get pushback, then, then things get exciting because now you're doing something that's hard. That's going to be uh, impactful oftentimes. And the other one that he said was nothing in life is so exhilarating as to be shot at without result. That's very deep. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, that's a little more literal for me. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it is very, very true is when, you know, when people, uh, not when people, but when, you know, when you come up with those challenges and um, you're, you're able to overcome them or when you have, you know, risks, for example, mm -hmm. uh, that you face and that you are able to advert, I mean, that's obviously very exhilarating. Um, and for those who, who have been shot at, they, they know what that, that feeling is. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I think there, the, the risk is the biggest thing is, is, you know, you, with any innovation, with pushing, with that grit, there does come risk as well. And that mm -hmm. while, you know, it, it can be a little bit, uh, a little bit scary, but at the same time, uh, helps motivate you to continue. Yeah. The adrenaline rush is, is the thing. Absolutely. And I think that that risk, um, the feeling of being shot at is not just always literal. It can be being put on the spot or feeling that somebody is trying to get you with words or things uh, yeah, of that. Absolutely. So, you know, they can, 
shooting is not just a physical act. It can also be something that's psychological. Oh, absolutely. And emotional, right? Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I'm no longer. I used to be very, uh, you know, if you're if you if you're coming after me, like okay, let's let's you know let's have a conversation and let's, yeah, a little more confrontational. Now it's uh, I've evolved since then and much more more laid back. I think it's uh, that is a a great growth there as well, um, because it's not always personal and it's you know uh, figuring out what is as to why somebody is taking a shot at you, if you will. Yeah, it's oftentimes very enlightening on not not you but the other person. Yeah, there's a problem there. Is exactly, like, exactly. Yeah, so they're trying to compensate, if you will. Yeah, oftentimes, and and usually it's out of fear. Which mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of that, where especially as you bring innovation into a setting, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of fear. A, a great a great example. This is actually, as we start talking about AI, I see a lot of fear around that, um, and that's from teachers who think that somehow AI is going to replace them. and, and I, No, quite the opposite. 100%. And that's always like we are building AI to not replace anybody, but to actually empower them in the classroom. Yeah. Here, we there's schools here that are uh, student structure student ratios 40 to one. Mm. How do you do that? How mm-hmm. as a teacher, how do you manage that classroom? I, uh, I used to have to teach that. It was very hard. Yeah. Yeah. I recommend drill sergeants. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> and I was in the projects when I was doing that. So it yep. was... It was like that. You know? Yeah, it's, I mean, so using AI to do things like create personalized lesson plans or to help generate work between court, between your one class and the next class to help force multiply you, you as the teacher are still empowered to make those judgments. But to write out the words is maybe not something that you necessarily need to do. You need to make sure the right words are there. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's our hope with AI is actually to empower those teachers, make them um be AI should be a force multiplier for them. So one teacher with AI can hopefully do mm-hmm. uh, do more. So it leads to the hardest lesson that you learned that changed your life. And you you actually um you said almost exactly what we had talked about. Failure is the beginning, but we can all do hard things. And so what you that's exactly what you're describing. Yes. Yeah. I, I and it's that growth mindset, right? Yeah. Um. And I was we are fortunate we had. I was sitting in an audience when I first got uh, introduced to growth mindset versus fixed mindset. We were talking to some people who work with the special forces community, and um, they talked about how people with fixed mindset who were doing so well their entire life, but then they hit failure the first time, and they have a real difficult time overcoming that. But people with growth mindset were able to be more flexible in Mm -hmm. that environment. And I think uh, failure is just the beginning because... Uh, you learn a lot from failure. Learn failure is science based too. Yeah. You know, it's how like how many times do you have to fail in science before you get to the place where you go, okay, it's one thousand two hundred and sixty one, but two sixty two, we just now got a light bulb or whatever it was. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean that's the entire scientific process, right? And, right. And all the research is based on is that fail, fail. There's a lot of value in failure. Yeah. Um, but yet we're embarrassed by it at times. Yeah, isn't that funny? It's yeah. And I think it's part of the journey. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when whenever we have a setback, you know, it's uh, I I look at it as okay, now it's time to get to work. Like mm-hmm. let's now we have a goal, right? We we pushed mm-hmm. until the point where we we had an issue, and now we have a goal, and now we can overcome that. Um, the so. ability to overcome the mindset of what, how, in maybe the for profit world, <laughs> it, failure is supposed to represent something bad, whereas in research, it's it's something wonderful and yeah. it's celebrated. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So 
who in your life has had the biggest impact? Let's give her a shout out now. My wonderful wife. Yeah, she's got a yeah. name. Let's say it. Cynthia Borving, the <laughs> uh, executive director of Rebuild the Rebuild Yourself nonprofit. Okay. Um, yeah, but actually, Vig would not be here without her. Um, so she had the idea originally to uh, start working as an instructional designer, you know, and and seeing how seeing what would happen. And we got one client and then we got two clients and then mm -hmm. I got so many clients that I couldn't do the work myself. So the wonderful Michelle Hanna came in to, to help me and she's got a tremendous uh, background in both K through 12 and instructional design. And we built sort of sort of building the company more and more and more. And now we have people like uh, Alexa Tyler and, and all sorts of uh, fantastic people in the company that uh, are able to support all of our wonderful clients. And yeah. yeah educators are awesome oh they really are yeah so as we look at 2030 what do you think 2030 is going to look like so we talked about this a little bit right it's, it's yeah. not that far away it is not it's uh probably five if was it five years yeah away. five years um and so i think we're going to see the so we have the app ar is the big thing for me right i think the as we looked at space or to say spatial computing Okay. Uh, which gives us a little more flexibility between VR, AR, and sort of our environments. But I think that interaction is going to be really important. Um, we know that the Apple Vision Pro is coming out later on this year. It's going to mm -hmm. be a phenomenal device at its price point. It's a little bit expensive, 3500 I believe. Same wow. As, yeah. So same as the HoloLens um, right now. But things are going to start to miniaturize. If we look at like the first iPhone mm -hmm. in comparison to where we're at now, uh, we know Meta is in the game. Mm -hmm. We know Google's in the game. We got Magic Leap, uh, which is another. Um... I know them. I know those people personally. Oh, I awesome. will tell you if you want an introduction, let me know because they are revolutionizing how people can access Magic Leap and just getting it out there. They will let you test it out, help you That's to so create cool. lesson plans so you can take it out to market. Uh, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Cause yeah. they, I remember reading that they had the most realistic, uh, interface in their environment they were doing. I know they had funding from Google and they do. Yeah. And so, um, as we look at how all of these, uh, environments are going to converge onto one another, I think 2030 is going to look a lot more into the augmented reality space, mm -hmm. um, and virtual reality, but to be able to shift between those. So I think we're looking at spatial computing being a real disruptor. But then if you combine that with AI, because AI is going to be very, very disruptive. We know that it already is being disruptive. Um, I think we had somebody uh, pass the bar, I think, with with AI, open AI. Really? Point. Yeah. And I know that somebody passed like a college, uh, a high college course or something like that. Yeah, it's been crazy that what it can do. Um, and then and this is just what's publicly released. They have their training all the time in advance and things like that. So um, if you mix AI in with AR. So the ability to generate just-in-time images, for example, inside of an AR uh, interface, there's a lot of really, really cool things that can happen. Um, Eighth Wall has a demonstration of using uh, both DALE and ChatGPT mm -hmm. inside of Eighth Wall, which is an AR company that, mm -hmm. that you can um, use to display on a, on a phone using Web AR and interface with those two. It's really, really cool. The, the type of things that you can do. So I think in 2030, uh, I think we're going to see a lot more virtualization. I think we're going to see a lot more interaction. I think blockchain will probably come back in a, a real big way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, we're going to see AI be a very disruptive force. I think those are our really big things. And if we look at it in education, 
I think we're really going to see that whole environment transform, mm-hmm. especially if we look at skilled workforce development, if we look at uh, skill-based assessments and things like that, and we're able to really transport people. I hope so. I really do. Um, we're going to make it happen. I Yeah. <laughs> And we can do it the right way too, which leads into the ethics. What are what ethical dilemmas do you see um, with using AI? I personally would like to create something in the Central Florida area where we're really um, championing the concept of how ethical AI should be used and what are the checks and balances that we're doing to ensure. I had read uh, last week that students had used um, chat GPT to create an essay and three people had pretty much the same essay that was turned in. So they failed and not because they were cheating off of each other, but because the AI did not, because of the parameters that they were, the students gave it, it came out with the same thing. So there is a place where understanding the value of um, having good research skills is going to be very vital and how to fact check what is coming out of anything that's an AI tool. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of ethical considerations. We've already seen it through how you're training the AI bots themselves. I mean, the internet is a crazy place. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things in there. I mean, um, depending on what sources you're using to train the bot is how it's going to answer the questions. So it's, it's I mean, it's only as good as the training it gives. It gets... Yep. Um, the questions become, there are also lots of benefits for using it. And how do you weigh those? Like, for example, you train a, uh, AI bot with medical records is, you know, it, it, what is, what is the outcomes to that? How is that data being protected? And then if you use AI to, if you use, you know, it, if, uh, a great example, I think it's, uh, mid journey possibly, but I'm not going to call them out because I'm not positive, but, uh, uh, so a lot of these uh, image processing portions of AI are using other people's artistic work in order to be able to generate new pieces of work. And so those AI bots that are being trained are actually using copyright material. And so as it generates new items, it's almost stealing that work. And so that's the that's a big debate um, inside that. We had the strikes here recently where uh, script writers didn't want um, right. movies to be able to be used in AI. So I think there's a lot of workforce ethical issues, but also how are we training those bots? Um, what about prejudice within the bots themselves um, based upon a whole litany of things? So um, I think that there's a, there's a, it definitely needs to be a lot of thoughtfulness around how we use AI um, for those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I didn't cover this one and we're getting kind of close to the end. Um, but I, I have a question that I'm going to ask now. So I don't forget. Sure. What is the perfect kind of client for you? Ooh. Any educational challenge. I feel I, I love educational challenges. Mm-hmm. Bigger, the better, more difficult, the better. I say, bring it on. Um, you know, we, that's not to say that uh, we don't enjoy the, the customers who have like, Hey, I want to, I want to, take this idea and I want to make it a course mm-hmm. uh, or I have challenges here in our workforce and we want to, we want to, uh, you know, increase that. But I love to be let loose on educational challenges to solve them and, and to show uh, a huge impact in the company or in the school or with the mm-hmm. students. Uh, we recently 
helped a uh, a charter school here in the Florida area get a full new curriculum set. We have uh, teachers being trained by our, our staff. Um, and so we're, our hopes there is to help turn that school around. And what a great impact for the kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that those are the type of things, that impact, that high impact educational yeah. challenges. So, Where it changes lives for the better. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, I love, I love as it probably come across some of this, I love tough stuff. So yeah. I, love, I love really tough educational challenges. Yeah, I do too. Um, many of the times, well, I'll save that for another conversation. Working with uh, children that have been raised in hard neighborhoods that are underserved, yep. that's where you can see the biggest growth. They're also more um, grateful than I think some of the privileged that may have grown up with computers in their home and everything. So I feel like there's a a lot that can be gained by serving different demographics. Yeah, we're, we're very fortunate where we are linked in with the rotary here in Lake Nona. um, And we're actually looking to, to give some of our training OS licenses to some of those schools. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would, you know, we're, I think we're looking at 10 through the rotary, but we'll, if, uh, we probably want to give to another 10 schools. So, mm-hmm. um, that's what, that's what we're looking for is to help change, change those school environments so that those mm-hmm. teachers can be empowered. So here's an idea for you. I've said this before to people is, um, if you have a list of potentially some grants, uh, that, and a template, you can give the schools and say, so here's a list of places that you can, uh, apply for STEM or STEAM money. And here's a package of the information that they're looking for. If you can make it super easy for them to apply and then get the funding, then that's going to help you because you just save them so much time. Oh, no, we're willing to give it to them. I understand. But, you know, by being able to provide the grant, then they can use it for measuring the outcome. And then you become an in-kind sponsor, so to speak, of the equipment. But it is a symbiotic relationship that can be... Absolutely. Become a better client, if you will. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah, definitely not opposed to, to having paying customers on their uh, Yeah. 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 Um, but we do want to, and that's part of our hope is to help empower those teachers because we know how, you know, difficult that job is, especially yeah. with 40 kids in, in one teacher. Like, it's yeah, tough. <laughs> it is. It really is. Really tough. Um, let's see. So ethical dilemmas, what do you think the ethical dilemmas could be of using AI? So uh, we talked a little bit about this, but it's it's basically how it's trained, um, making sure that you are not using copyright material, especially if you're using it uh, for commercial purposes. Uh, I think there is uh, looking for bias within the training materials as well. And I know that Google, I know that Microsoft, I know that Facebook are all looking at those things very, very specifically in order to do that. They're not perfect, but they are trying to address the problem, which is important. Um, and so that's one piece. I think their other ethical dilemma is not using it. Um, for if we can train it to you on medical records, for example, to save lives, why are we not doing that? And, and so it's breaking down some of those barriers, like HIPAA compliance and things like that, which are very important. And so we've we got to find a way to do it efficiently and effectively. Mm, very true. Very true. So the best mentoring advice that you would want to pass on to our listeners. Um, so I had the opportunity, uh, uh, my amazing wife, Cynthia, who's the executive director of rebuild yourself. Um, 
uh, has a, uh, her nonprofit actually started a mentorship program with kids who are in junior and senior year. So I actually took on two of two, two mentees uh, this past weekend. And uh, one of the things I noticed was that they were very, very hyper focused on what their job was because they felt like it was their source of identity. And they felt like once they picked it, that's what they were going to do. And I think um, the advice there is to uh, to look at opportunities and take advantage of them as they present themselves. And so, um, you know, they're going to get a lot of offers and things like that, but finding the right one, of course, is very important. But don't let your your fixed the fixed mindset, right? Don't don't let that idea of hey, I'm going to be a police officer prevent you from maybe taking an opportunity somewhere that could be really really great. Yeah, and that's that's what I've. I presented to them and um, obviously being a mentor, a lot of listening versus just talking. Right. Course. But um, that's some of the, some of the advice that I've given them. Yeah. Yeah. You're not defined by just one thing. Did you know there's research that shows that people will have seven career paths in their life? That makes a lot of sense. It does. Yeah. Because I can look at mine and say, my my gift of my industry has been education, but I've gone in so many different directions with it. You can go into software development, education. You can go into instructional design, education. You can go into game-based learning, education, right? So this person that wants to be a police officer, they could end up going into being a mediator. They could end up being somebody that is an advocate for children. They could be... And a police officer doesn't always wear the badge. Right. They can be more than that. Yeah. And I mean, these two individuals are tremendous and they want to be entrepreneurs and they already have their ideas on what they want to do and uh, they're they're ready to pitch. And so um, it's, it's very interesting to see that, but uh, also to give them the flexibility because I see it on everybody uh, in that age group is they're they feel like that decision is so important to make because mm-hmm. it's going to define their college, which will then define, and they, they that's what they feel like, right? Yeah. And they feel like that that delineation is already set in path when actuality, I mean, I had no, I still don't know what I want to do when I get older. Right. <laughs> yeah. Seven career paths. Yep. Oh, by the way, um, I can give you a couple, I can give you a code and they could sign up for Swirl, which is Startup Weekend Orlando. And oh, cool. they can, in 54 hours, see if their idea actually could make money. I will definitely pass that. And I, yeah, I'm going to send you the code tonight. Awesome. Have them sign up because it is in two weeks. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. They would love that. And it's so, just so our listeners know, it's a Friday night. You pitch an idea and you can form a team. People can be on that team. And then you spend all day Saturday, 8 to 10, Sunday, 8 to seven and you have to go out and do all kinds of customer discovery and make money and if you can't make money then that means that may not have been a good idea but i've seen everybody come back and they've made money that's cool that's yeah. very cool yeah so you guys should go you and your wife should go for absolutely. sure absolutely yeah and then watch the light bulbs come on in their heads oh it'll be awesome yeah, yeah. and you could be on their team that way <laughs> <laughs> that's the best mentoring thing absolutely well how can our listeners contact you uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, that's probably the best way. Um, and then we also have our, I, I'm on Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and obviously we have our websites. Um, training, the website? Yeah, trainingos.com as well as uh, learnvig.com. I'm going to put both websites on here. Yeah. Every time I say vig, or, did you say big? 
Uh, yeah, V as in Victor, I G. Yeah. Very important girls. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's going to stick with a lot of the women there for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing all of that information. And I look forward to getting together next time and Absolutely. figuring out how we can collaborate. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. We want to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and thank you to our video team. We want to thank Gabe Laporte, Tommy Myers, Andrew Pagat, and Jalissa Hurtado. We also want to acknowledge our music composer, Charles Lawrence Lee. Visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusive culture while scaling your people for the future of work. Thank you for supporting The Intern Whisperer by subscribing to us on Podbean, our Employers for Change YouTube channel, or stream from your favorite podcast channel.